So, anything in particular stood out? Anybody want to take my place this morning? No, no one's feeling brave enough? No? Okay. So, um, uh, I wonder what stood out to you in that passage. There was a, a various bits and pieces as I was sort of praying over that passage uh, this week. But today, I want to talk to you uh, all about truth and lies. Actually, uh, it was a theme that came up in our uh, pre-service prayer meeting. It starts each week at 9.30, although my apologies, I was uh, running a couple of minutes late this morning. Um, but do join with us any 9.30 uh, at 9.30 just to pray for the service. So truth and lies. This week I uh, uh, sort of popped my head into the living room and the children were relaxing a little bit and, um, and I popped my head around the door and I, and I said to them, uh, do you know children that after 22 minutes of continual uh, TV watching, your brain reaches a temperature at which it starts to melt and if you, if you keep it at that temperature for another eight minutes, your brain will completely melt and come out of your ears. Um, needless to say they did not uh, believe a word of it at all, not even in the slightest. Um, but also this week, um, uh, I, was, I was, uh, had to do the school run on Tuesday evening. And on the way there, I, I was listening to the radio, and there was this interesting thing that came up. So I decided to test them on the way back from school. Uh, and I said, truth or lie, you can milk a cockroach. Truth or lie, you can milk a cockroach. How would you answer that question? They, they sort of uh, whispered to each other in the back seat, uh, and, uh, and they came up with the answer. Now, the answer is you can, in fact, milk a cockroach. Yeah, so um, it's now heralded as a future superfood. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure if I would fancy uh, drinking cockroach milk, uh, but it's supposed to be high in energy, lots of amino acids. Um, uh, it sounds a little bit disgusting, although I did see one social media post that said, uh, uh, he's, uh, this guy said, you know, I'm absolutely tired of eating my grasshoppers that were dry and crispy. At least now I can add a little bit of cockroach milk. Um, so, um, but, but most of the comments on social media was based around this simple question. How exactly do you milk a cockroach? Perhaps that's the same question that's going around in your mind. Perhaps you're imagining a, a, a patient army of farmers with tiny hands. Um, uh, the, the, the answer, of course, is not quite um, like that. Uh, what you have to do, sadly, is you have to sort of carve out the cockroach's gut and you have to sort of get the milk in forms of crystals. So I suppose on one level, no matter whether you said it was a truth or a lie, you're probably both correct. C- uh, can you get milk from a cockroach? Yes. Can you physically milk a cockroach? No. I've got no idea why I'm talking so much about cockroach, cockroach milk this morning. <laughs> milk this morning. Um, But I apologise if the thought of that sends you into a small panic attack. But it's the same theme that I want to talk about this morning. Truth or lies. And firstly, I want to unpack what this passage says about the lies that we are told. And secondly, I want to unpack what this passage has to say about the truth that we must receive. So the lies we are told and the truth we must receive. So firstly, the lies what we are told, the lies we are told. Now what is clear in this passage and in many other places throughout the Gospels is that Jesus clearly taught about a personal being called the devil. Not some vague evil force, but there was this 
personal being called the devil. And this devil or the Satan is mentioned throughout uh, the Bible. But here, today, we're going to be looking about what Jesus says in this particular passage. He talks about him throughout. Um, And he says this in verse 44, if you've got your Bibles open. He says this, he, and he's speaking now of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus describes the devil as the father of lies. And in this passage, what Jesus is doing is he is shining a spotlight upon uh, two of the many lies in which the devil wants to tell us. Now these lies are not easy for us to recognize. They are the sort of the water that we swim in. They are pervasive. They are systemic. And it's also impossible. It's almost impossible to spot them without Jesus highlighting them. And the first lie that Jesus brings out of the shadows is this. The devil would say to us, we are free without Christ. We can be free without Christ. You see, the devil wants to believe that if only we could throw off the shackles of religion, we would be free to live life to the full. That Christians are the only ones without freedom. Speak to non-Christians, they're they're thinking Christianity is about rules and restrictions. That, you know, um, and, 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 and the devil is saying to us, you know, you know, you should be free, you know, free to love who you want to love, free to be who you want to be, free to do whatever you want to do. But the Bible tells a very different story. As Jesus says in our passage today in verse 34, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You might have heard of a a guy called Martin Luther. He was a central figure in the Protestant Reformation. And he described his insight, and it's a really helpful insight. He described the human will like a horse whose choices are limited to one of two things. Who will be its rider, whether it's God or the devil? You see, the devil would say to us, actually, you can have a choice. You can either have no rider, you can be free, or you can sort of have Christ dictating your life. But Luther's insight through scripture was that the choice isn't really there. You've got one of two masters. Indeed, uh, you either choose to have your human will ridden by the devil or your human will uh, sort of lorded over by Jesus Christ. And indeed, this idea uh, of a free person is actually a post-enlightenment. You know, we, we, we're, it's like the water that we seep in. We're, we're a post-enlightenment community. But it, it's a myth. It's something that came out of the enlightenment. This idea of a free person has never really existed. Neither will it ever will. We are dependent beings. We are designed to serve someone. The horse must have a rider. And the question that we're faced with is, will we be a slave to sin or will we be a servant of Jesus? In fact, that word servant, servant of Jesus, is mentioned over 125 times in the New Testament. And actually that word servant isn't actually correctly translated. It said slave of Jesus. We're either a slave to sin or a doulos, a slave to Jesus. 
You see, the Bible never presents the non-Christian as this sort of free person walking through life, able to make their own decisions. You know, this is a deception of the devil. The Bible pictures the non-Christian as someone who is trapped, who is blinded, who is caught by the devil. As the Apostle Paul, and this is just one quote uh, from the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 4 says this, the God of this age, that's the devil, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, which is the image of God. They're not free. They're walking around there with blindfolds on, and I believe God wants to sort of lift some of those blindfolds today. And yes, people have free will up until a point, but it is limited by the devil, and it's only God who can set us truly free. You can liken uh, sin to a piece of cotton. The first time you wrap one piece of cotton around you, it's quite easy, sort of flex your muscles, pops open, you're broken free broken free from sin. But wrap that same thin piece of cotton around you three, four, five, six times. And before you know it, you are completely trapped, completely entangled, completely unable to break out of that sin. It's really tough to get out of it. So saints, let me encourage you, do not flirt with sin. The devil is the father of lies. He is the, the, the king of deception. He's saying to you, it's fine, it's fine. But it is the start of a very slippery slope. And once you start, you're only going to go down one way, except if Christ breaks you free and he has the power to break you free. So the first lie is that we can be free without Jesus. And that is a lie. The second lie is this. The devil would say to the wider world, you are fine without Jesus. You are fine without Jesus. Reinhold Neuber was a 20th century uh, American theologian. He was a political and current affairs commentator. And uh, he commented uh, back in the middle of last century that no amount of contrary evidence seems to disturb humanity's good opinion of itself. I mean, think about it. In the West, and again, this is a very Western mindset, the, the idea of uh, w- w- progression. We're always going to be getting better. And in some aspects, like technology does get better and better and better. But the idea of, of humanity getting better and better and better is very much a sort of enlightenment, sort of uh, Western mindset. Eastern, Eastern thought has this cyclical view of, of humanity. But, but think about it. Think about it. Is the world getting a better place? Presently, we've got uh, the war in Ukraine. We've got wars in many countries around the world. And every generation, not just ours, has its daily toll of murder and violence and rape and abuse and torture in every single nation, developed or or, or developing around every corner of the world. I mean, if we are really getting better, then my life, previous centuries, must have been really bad. Think about what's happened in the last century. We've had the horrors of Auschwitz. We've had the gulags in Russia. We've had the killing fields of Cambodia. You know, Jesus speaks of the complete fallenness of human nature, and it is abundantly verified by experience. We are fine without God, says the devil. Well, this is just a lie. 
We are not fine. Left to our own devices, we have Auschwitz, gulags, killing fields. And our passage, Jesus is talking to his contemporaries. And they're basically saying, oh, we're fine. We're fine. Don't worry about us, Jesus. And I'm having a bit of a a sort of ding-dong here. And what Jesus is saying to these uh, contemporaries is that they are confusing two sorts of families. Two sorts of family membership. Being children of Abraham and being children of God. You see, his contemporaries, if we read at the beginning of our passage, verse 33, were very keen to assert that they were children of Abraham. Verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants. We are totally fine. Don't worry about us, Jesus. You see, they assumed that being, Abraham, being descendants of Abraham automatically qualified them as children of God. But Jesus sort of peels back this lie of the devil. And he says that the fact that they want to murder him and they've got no room for his message reveals the truth that they are not children of God. And the same is true for us today. You know, some people think that sort of nominal membership uh, to a church, sort of vaguely floating around the edges, means that they are children of God. They're not sort of against God. You know, it means that they are children of God, that they can rest secure. But again, this is confusing two different types of family. And Jesus speaks about this when he talks about the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the weeds. And we, we confuse the visible church, the people who turn up in lots of churches around the world every Sunday, to the real church, the eternal, magnificent, the, the awe-inspiring bride of Christ. And we think that sort of attending church uh, occasionally or attending church every week, we just think, oh, you know, if we go to church, we read a verse or two, we say a quick prayer now and again when we're in trouble, means that we are children of God. And Jesus is clear that this isn't the case, that this isn't the case. Jesus calls for wholehearted devotion He doesn't say, speak to me when you've got nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. He says, I want your whole heart. He just wants you. That's it. And he he, he despises lukewarmness. I mean, that's, that's a sad thing. He actually hates it. He'd prefer us to be against him than to be lukewarm. You know, when when Jesus arrives um, and and speaks a message to the church in Revelation, one of the churches he says, he says, I wish you either hot, as in on fire for me, love me, or cold. I, I wish you either hot or cold, but you are lukewarm, and I will spew you out of my mouth. You know, we confuse these families between the the visible and the eternal bride of Christ. He must be first in our hearts, and this is a challenge for me. He must be first, and there is no pretending before Jesus. I can't get to Jesus. Oh, well, I led a church. Well, so what? Is he first in my heart? Is he first in your heart? Because the devil is a father of lies, and two of the lies that he highlights today is that we are free without Christ, and we are fine without Christ. And Jesus shows these to be the deceptions that they are. And secondly, the truth we must receive. I'm going to spend less time on this because we've, it sort of builds upon what we've been looking at. So the truth we must receive. In our passage, Jesus doesn't just sort of shine a light on the lies. He counters the lies with his truth. 
You see, the devil would have us believe that we are free without Christ. And Jesus shows us that the truth brings us freedom. The truth brings us freedom. 31, verse 31. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold firm to it, if you never let it go, if you can finish this race, if you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the truth that sets us free. If we want to live lives of freedom, then the most important thing we need is to know the truth and to hold on to the truth no matter what lies are swimming around us in culture. And what is the truth? The truth is a person. The answer is Jesus is the truth. If we look back at the beginning, and, and John's Gospel has it throughout, you know, this question of what is truth. You know, um, later on, uh, Pilate questions Jesus, and he says a, a, an absolutely ridiculous question, but, but, uh, and, he, and he says to Jesus, again, with that blindfold that the devil puts over non, non-believers, and he says, he's looking at Jesus in the face, and he says, what is truth? He's looking at truth, and yet he cannot see it. And, and again, that's at the end of John's gospel. At the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter one, the prologue, it talks about God coming down and taking on flesh in the person of Jesus. And he speaks about the, the eternal logos, the word. And it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us full of grace and truth. And he goes on to say, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth brings freedom, and Jesus is the truth. And this is why Jesus then goes on to say in verse 36, if the Son, who is truth, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We need to know the truth and hold on to it at all costs. If we want to be free, we need to know Jesus. Because this book, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, doesn't just promise us freedom from this world. It promises freedom in this world, in the here and now. And let's just quickly consider some dimensions of the freedom that is promised. We are promised freedom from shame and guilt. Jesus died upon the cross so that you can be forgiven, that your shame and guilt can be taken away. He promises freedom from addiction. On the cross, the power of addiction was dealt a death blow. Some people receive uh, freedom uh, almost miraculously from specific addictions when they come to Christ. But for many others, it remains a spiritual battle and it can be a longer process. But the only way in which we can break free is truly through Jesus. Freedom from comparison. It's, it's like the, the, the soul crusher of our time. Jesus frees us from the need to compare ourselves with other people and sets us free to live our own lives. Freedom from fear. Jesus sets us free from fear. Freedom to love. What, what, Jesus sets us free from sin. And what is sin? The Bible speaks about sin basically being turned in on itself, about centered, self-centeredness, about wanting what we want. And the trouble is, when Jesus sets us free from looking inwards about being self-serving, he sets us free to love 
others wholeheartedly. He also sets us free to love God and to enjoy him. Jesus sets us free intellectually, morally, uh, uh, emotionally. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So the lie of the devil is that we are free without Christ. And Jesus says, actually, only me, only the truth can set you free. And the second lie of the devil is that we are all fine without God. And Jesus counters this lie by showing that it's only the truth that brings salvation. It's only the truth that brings salvation. So uh, as the passage concludes, we go towards the end of our passage and Jesus is making a claim about himself. And we don't really see how absolutely outrageous this claim is. He's already in the middle of a ding dong yeah, with his contemporaries. And this just takes it. You know, um, uh, uh, we're not really seeped in Jewish ways of thinking, but one of the most holiest verses of the Torah, of the Old Testament, is found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And it's when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And, uh, and, uh, and God tells Moses to go set his people free. And Moses says, oh, I don't want to, you know, go back and forwards. And then he says, but who shall I say that sent me? And it's chapter 3, verse 14. God reveals his own name. And, 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 and it's, uh, it's, this, this name is so sacred, so holy, that, that, um, that, that the sort of Bible is sort of written so that this name isn't mentioned. And, and Jewish people would never, ever dare say this name. It's so sacred. They would never dare speak it. Verse uh, 14, Exodus 3, verse 14. God said to Moses this, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And we could have 10 sermons just about what that means. But to even speak those words, I am, would have been sacrilegious to Jesus' contemporaries. And in our passage, Jesus doesn't just speak the words. He takes this title and applies it to himself. This is mind-boggling. How can you say that Jesus is just a great teacher? Of course he isn't a great teacher. He has just taken the most holiest name known to the Jewish people and he said, I am, I am. Verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And you can see the voter outrage. What did they do? Party all falls apart. They pick up stones and they go to stone him. Jesus is claiming that he is God himself, that he is the great I am. And if you consider his life, um, his life vindicates his claim. You know, he healed the sick, he exercised power over nature, he fed the hungry, he raised the dead, he answered every question. So much so that people just stopped asking questions because it was just too amazing, his teaching was. Jesus is God, and if we want to receive salvation, we must believe in Jesus and accept his words. And this is why he says in verse 51, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. And all, the Jews, all of his contemporaries would have said, oh, Rabbi this said this, and Rabbi that says this. Jesus speaks in his own authority. He says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Never fear death. Never be separated from God. Let's end with this verse, another verse that Jesus um, shares. Because the devil is the father of lies, and Jesus is the truth. And later in this gospel, we read, John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, saints, let me encourage you afresh today to come to Jesus because he is the truth that brings freedom. He is the truth that brings salvation. So shall we stand and we're going to pray and we're going to worship together. And Lord, just uh, reminded as we were in the prayer meeting that you are the truth. And in this passage, we, we see a really interesting word. It doesn't say, although, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, although I told you the truth, you did not believe in me. Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. And Lord, we pray in this world where there is a spiritual battle about truth, that you would open the eyes of unbelievers, open our eyes afresh to see you, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We invite your Holy Spirit, who you promised would come and direct us in all truth. Come, Holy Spirit. Just as we were praying this morning, I I received a sense that uh, some of us here have been shackled, have been bound by lies that people have spoken over us. Lies that the devil has spoken over us and that Jesus wants to set you free today. And so if that's you, I just encourage you uh, not to leave this place today without asking for prayer. So come Holy Spirit, we pray. Bring your truth to us. Help us to be wholehearted in our devotion to you, Jesus. Let's worship.